The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello, welcome to What Catholics Believe. This is a catechism edition. We're resuming our series of catechism lessons with Lesson 40 from the book A Brief Catechism for Adults by Father William J. Cogan. We talk today about the Seventh and the Tenth Commandments. And uh, we start out in the, in the lesson as given to us by Father Cogan by quoting some passages from sacred scripture. Thou shalt not steal, from Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. A thief is better than a man that is always lying, but both of them shall inherit destruction. Ecclesiasticus chapter 20, verse 27. He that stealeth anything from his father or from his mother and saith, This is no sin, is the partner of a murderer. From Proverbs chapter 28, verse 24. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor extortioners shall possess the kingdom of God. St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. He that stole, let him now steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have something to give to him that suffereth need. From St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 28. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I foretell you, as I have foretold you, that they that do such things shall not obtain the kingdom of God. St. Paul to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 21. And following all those citations from the scriptures, both the Old and the New Testaments, we come to the questions themselves. First question, what is the seventh commandment? Thou shalt not steal. <clears throat> Now, as always, these commandments are very practical. They have to do with what is to be done and not to be done, to turn from evil and to do what is good. Stealing, essentially, is taking what doesn't belong to you, uh, depriving someone who does have the right of ownership and the use of a piece of property, appropriating it to yourself, or at least depriving it, depriving the person who does have a right to it, of the ownership, the possession, and the use of that property. That's stealing. What does the seventh commandment oblige you to do? To respect the property of others. Now notice that the commandment is based upon the principle of private ownership of property. Uh, there are socialists, communists who deny that uh, we have that natural right given to us by God, but the church has always upheld it. Divine revelation has always upheld the fact that there is a natural right, a God-given right to human beings to own private property, that they can earn the ownership of this private property, that they have a right to, to hold it, to possess it, they have a right to dispose of it. And um, that is a, a personal and a natural right that human beings have bestowed on us by God, our Creator. And so we have to respect that right. We have to respect that right of each other. 
as they have to expect our right to ownership. Uh, thirdly, what is meant by stealing? Taking anything that does not belong to you and which the owner is not willing to give to you. For what sins does stealing include? They give you a list here of robbery, burglary, robbery, t taking something by force from another person, uh, burglary, going behind their backs and taking it by stealth. But then there's graft, bribes, embezzlement, cheating and fraud, not paying bills, taxes and debts, not supporting families, damaging the property of others, wasting time or materials on your job, not giving employees a just wage. Now, we should comment on some of these because uh, they have certain twists and turns that don't always come to light. Of course, graft, bribes, and embezzlement were looking to um, uh, basically take, again, what doesn't belong to us uh, by different means. And um, cheating sometimes um, is um, not considered to be that serious, but it, it actually can be very serious. Um, cheating uh, on an exam, for example, uh, where we take the knowledge and the hard work of others and learning and we basically appropriate it for ourselves. We have no right to it. We haven't earned it. Uh, it's uh, taking the labor of, of another person or the knowledge of another person and using it for our own un, unearned advantage. Uh, so cheating always involves a lying. Lying is always involved in cheating and stealing can sometimes be involved. Now sometimes um, we can cheat by uh, convincing another person to enable us to cheat by giving us the answers uh, that we don't have on our own. And uh, so in that sense, like, it would not, strictly speaking, be stealing. However, not stealing from the person who did the work. But it still could be stealing from the class insofar as our artificially inflated grade affects how others are graded, the grades that others receive. That could be stealing from the entire class at one time, especially if the teacher grades, as, as is said, by, on the curve, according to the, uh, according to the, uh, you know, the lay of the grades, the distribution of the grade scores. So, um, you know, it is a serious matter, and it always involves lying because it presents as our own work what is not our own. Um, this can be simply a matter of trying to obtain a grade that we haven't worked for, or it can be a matter of actually not only passing tests, but passing a bar exam or, uh, uh, you know, earning our certificate, a medical certificate or whatever else. And of course, the more power uh, it gives us um, based upon stealing, uh, well, then the more dangerous it is for those who are our clients and those who depend upon us, depend upon our knowledge, depend upon our skill, and it's a fraud. Um, and so um, we're, we're actually lying to our clients at that point who put their confidence in us, possibly even in, in uh, matters of life and death. So um, cheating can be very serious and unfortunately, it has become endemic today. Not only are people 
uh, cheating in our schools, but cheating in business, cheating in industry, and it's almost a badge of honor for some people how much they can get away with and how much they boast about. As St. Paul says, they glory in their shame. Uh, the things they should be ashamed of, they, they are proud of. And so we have to be very careful about this cheating and fraud, too, misrepresenting something to another person to convince them to do what, if they knew the truth, they wouldn't do. Um, it's tricking someone into departing with something valuable of their own. Um, and that is uh, a form of theft, of course. Um, and it is something that God will punish very severely. Now, not paying our bills, yet yeah, we, we owe, when we owe injustice, the bills uh, that come our way, whether it be for the, uh, you know, the utilities that are used or uh, credit card bills that we've run up, whatever, uh, that is a matter of justice. And uh, to refuse to pay is a form of theft. Obviously, if we run the bills up with, with already no intention to pay them, We've committed the theft at that very point, that we are incurring the expenses with no intention of repaying them. But if we do incur the expenses and later on decide, well, I'm not going to pay that, uh, and there's no reason in justice to refuse payment, we voluntarily took the, uh, the merchandise, whatever it was, we obliged ourselves to pay for it, and then we don't, that's theft. Um, but also paying taxes, we do, as citizens in a society, take advantage of what that society offers. Uh, the roads we drive, on, drive in and, and so on, um, and other amenities we receive um, because of uh, living in a society that has, let's say, its own police force, fire department, and so on. We rely on these things. And um, so we have an obligation to contribute to them, to pay, to pay for them. So there are just taxes, and uh, yes, there is an obligation in justice to pay just taxes. Unfortunately, there are also unjust taxes that require us to pay for things that might even be contrary to our conscience, and um, that's another matter, but uh, we'll talk about that at another time. But we're talking here about just taxes, that is to say, uh, paying for the services and, and the goods that we receive th through our membership in a society, which in turn uh, provides these things for our benefit. And of course, paying our debts. We borrowed money, we have an obligation to repay. If we have outstanding debts that we haven't repaid, we have an obligation to take care of that. Um, and that obligation will go before, with us before the judgment seat of God. So we've got to think in terms of what debts we owe, and we have to try to expedite payment to absolve ourselves of those debts. Um, unfortunately, uh, these days, uh, we have uh, debt, uh, debt slavery, as uh, Mr. David Ramsey refers to it sometimes, uh, where we've actually um, incurred such debts, and we owe not only principal, but interest, and uh, we are, quote-unquote, sometimes robbing Peter to pay Paul on this octave day of the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. It's a really curious expression, but nonetheless, um, you understand the meaning of it. And um, so we can get ourselves into debt foolishly on our part, 
such that we don't know how to escape it and we are unable to pay what we owe. But uh, nonetheless, um, when we have debts that we freely incur, we are agreeing in justice to repay according to the terms by which we, under which we, we receive the money, under, uh, according to the terms under which we went into debt. We have to observe that. And um, unfortunately, the way economies are run these days, it is really a very, very dangerous thing. Uh, people overextending in their debt, uh, borrowing very, uh, very recklessly, and um, that can end in catastrophe. It can end that way in catastrophe for the individual. It can end in catastrophe for an entire nation because it has been known for some time. The best way to actually move a nation from a free economy to socialism is by spending that nation into heavy debt, uh, a debt beyond which it cannot recover. And then that is, that is the way, classically, one would transform any society into a socialistic society. Um, when the government basically has spent the, the people into debt, where they simply have no, no escape. Um, in any case, um, you see these things have very grave consequences here. Uh, not supporting your family. Why would that be considered theft? Because you owe them. <clears throat> you owe, a man owes his wife and his children support. <clears throat> it is principally his, his responsibility to uh, support them financially and to enable them to pay their bills for the things that they need. <clears throat> it is he who is supposed to provide the, the material wherewithal for them to live well. <clears throat> and um, that is primarily his responsibility, as I say. I mean, sometimes it happens because of illness <coughs> or, or death um, or whatever other reversals may happen. <clears throat> that the husband and father is not able to uh, provide for the material welfare of the family. It might require the wife to work. Uh, it is considered to be an evil by the church because the children need their mom and no one can take her place. And uh, her primary job is to make a home, uh, a beautiful home, a kind of haven. Um, and um, not to be a career woman. She, her priorities must be her children. In any case, it might be necessary, as Father <clears throat> Frederick Becker said back in the 1960s, after he was uh, released from communist China, uh, where he'd been imprisoned, uh, Father Becker traveled giving talks around the country warning about the communist menace, especially communist China. And um, he said that conditions were being created in this country, America, at that time, that required both the, the husband and the wife to work. And uh, this left the children very much, uh, let's say, undirected and unfortunately misdirected because they would then be relying on basically the government, government schools to uh, provide supervision for the children when the parents are not there. Um, libraries, he pointed out libraries, libraries in particular, 
where, uh, where you have books that are very bad, that can be very corrupting for a child. The child is not being supervised properly, possibly even. You have a leftist, as he says, a pinko librarian. Now, in those days, the 1960s, people might have thought that sounded rather peculiar. Nowadays, with our uh, trans story hours in the libraries, you see, the libraries have become hotbeds of corruption for our children in all too many cases. So we see, yes, there is a danger there, and Father Becker saw that. He foresaw that. But the reason I mention that is because <clears throat> we uh, see that the children actually are owed by their parents. Their parents owe them their care. They owe them the pr provision of the material goods they need to live and to thrive. Uh, but they owe not only the material goods, they also owe, no, owe them the emotional support, they need them the intellectual development of education, and they need the spiritual development of the father and the mother, raising them in their faith to love God and to serve Him well. Uh, all of those things are owed to children. Life is given to them. Uh, it is not just a matter of giving life, it's a matter of nurturing that life too, to perfection. So. We have an obligation, and one who, who fails to do these things uh, through his own fault is guilty, as it were, of stealing from his own children, stealing from his, his own family. Now, damaging the property of others, obviously vandalism is a sin. As I say, it, it's not always the thief who, who benefits from what, by what he's taken. The evil is that the person who has a right to it does not benefit, but rather suffers loss. That's the evil of a thievery. <clears throat> and damaging the property of others causes that loss. Um, so again, you know, the evil of it is, is very grave. Uh, depending on uh, how much damage was done and uh, the consequences of that damage, uh, it could be a mortal sin. Uh, wasting time or materials on the job. Okay, this involves employees Employees have an obligation to respect their employers, and um, the employees have an obligation to give what they, what they pledged to give. An employee might be working on the clock. He might be earning an hourly wage. And he has an obligation, strictly speaking, to give the time that he's being paid for. If he's being paid a wage at so much an hour for eight hours, 10 hours, whatever it is, if that's what he's agreed to, if he's going to collect that wage, he needs to have earned it by working those hours. On the other hand, if an employee has agreed to a job and he's being paid for the job, regardless of how much time it takes, uh, he's agreed to do the job, complete it, uh, and so on, then he, he has an obligation to do that. It may take less time, it may take more time than he figured, but he has to give the job, and the job well done, that he promised that he would and take the pay that he agreed to. Now, um, that has to do with the employees. If the employee wastes uh, his, the time of his employer um, just gossiping around the, the water cooler or uh, playing on the internet or whatever, and he's wasting his employer's time, he is a thief. He is stealing uh, from his employer. and. Uh, Yes, uh, we'll talk about rep reparation, restitution and compensation later on, but 
there are matters that arise involving uh, compensating another for the damage you've caused because of your thievery and, and failing, failing to deliver what you promised. Now, um, the last thing they give you on this list under number four is not giving employees a just wage. So this applies to employers and their obligation to pay their employees what they owe them, a just wage, even a living wage. <clears throat> now, this last one, although it is listed last, is one of those four sins against the Holy Ghost. And um, I, I beg your pardon. I take that back. There are, there are six sins against the Holy Ghost. There are four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance. And this is one of them. This is one of the four sins that cry to heaven for vengeance because of the injustice involved of employers withholding uh, the wages of employees who have earned them. This is a particularly grave form of thievery because the employees depend upon these uh, just wages not only for their own survival, but for the survival of their families. So um, that is why this is considered to be a very heinous crime. They would even cry to God to avenge it. So employ employers have to be very, very careful uh, to take care of their employees. And uh, they, they owe them not only a just wage, but they also owe them the working conditions necessary to be safe. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, what kind of a sin is it to steal? Well, stealing um, something expensive, they say here in question number five, is a mortal sin. Stealing something cheap is a venial sin. Well, these expressions, expensive and cheap, can be applied different ways. Basically, uh, the theft is grave according to the gravity of the consequences. If you um, steal the change out of the cup of a poor blind beggar, you may have only stolen uh, a few dollars worth of coins, but the consequences in it to his life can be very serious. It might mean going without a meal that day or not eating at all that day. And um, that's, very, that's very serious business. Uh, even stealing no more than a, a single needle, maybe worth a penny or two, um, can be grave. If uh, you steal it from a tailor who needs that needle to make a living. Um, so again, these things seem not to be that matter applicable today because of the great wealth that surrounds us. But that great wealth is uh, waning right now. And uh, we may well, in the near future, see some serious want. And in a case like that, things become very dear. Uh, even simple things that we take for granted now, um, may, we, we may cherish and need to protect and, uh, and uh, also maintain because it's not so easy to replace them. Anyway, regardless, regarding the seriousness of stealing, it often depends upon the gravity of the injury or damage suffered by the person who loses the property. 
It loses the use and the right, uh, uses the, the, the use of the property, shall I say. Uh, they don't, because it's stolen from them, they don't lose the right to the property. The right to the property goes with the property wherever it goes. It belongs to its rightful owner. Now, um, in the, when I was in the seminary, we were told that generally something $50 in value would be uh, the dividing line, something less than $50 worth of merchandise would be perhaps a venial sin, something of greater value than $50 would be considered a mortal sin. Then some years later I was told that now $100 is the cutoff point uh, because of inflation or whatever. Uh, I think it's almost impossible to set a dollar limit though. Uh, again, I, I think it's a matter of just um, how much harm, how much damage it, the individual suffers in losing the property um, that is unjustly taken away from them. Um, uh, number six, are you ever allowed to keep stolen goods? The answer is no. No, as a matter of fact, you have to make restitution. Restitution means that you have to restore the property that you stole and you have to restore it in good workable condition, the condition that you stole it, at least. You have to restore it to the rightful owner. Um, that's the first thing you have to do. And it, it's not just giving it up or giving it away. Your first obligation is to restore it to its rightful owner in the condition in which you took it. Now, uh, sometimes it's not possible to restore the goods to their rightful owner. Sometimes the property is perished. Sometimes it's been passed on to others and is untraceable. But the person who took it, the person who stole it, still has an obligation to make restitution and to, um, let's say, restore the value of the property he took to the rightful owner. Uh, if he can't give the property back, then he has to pay for it, or somehow the equivalent. Um, <coughs> sometimes the reason why the person who stole it cannot restore it to its rightful owner is because the rightful owner cannot be found. Or perhaps the rightful owner has died, uh, in which case the person who's guilty of the theft may have to um, compensate the estate of the owner and the, the legal heirs of the, of the one who owned the property that was stolen. Um, in any case, if it comes down to where it is impossible to uh, constitute recompense uh, to, um, to give restitution to the rightful owner who suffered the loss, then it's still not permissible to keep the property stolen. It would still be necessary to uh, give, give it a, to charity, uh, to uh, make a donation to charity, the church and its charitable work, um, but one cannot keep uh, the stolen goods or the value of those stolen goods because it is to belong to you. You have to uh, find a way to, uh, uh, you know, satisfy justice uh, by restoring the property to the rightful owner or at least even in the form of charity. It's not charity, strictly speaking, but to give to charity so that the the property and its value can be used for some good cause, actually in the service of God. Um, but 
it behooves anybody who stole anything to try to be sure to return it, restore it as, as, as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. Get it off their conscience. That's what any priest would tell them in the confessional. They have to make restitution. Number seven, what must you do if you cannot find the owner? It says, well, give the stolen goods to charity or give a comparable amount of money. Just make sure that charity will use it well as far as you can. Uh, eight, what must you do if you damage someone's property? Well, again, you have to pay for the, the damage you've caused or else you're guilty of sin, a sin against the Seventh Commandment. Um, so, I mean, if you're pulling into a parking space and you scratch somebody else's car, um, you do have an obligation to leave a note on that or somehow. Um, nowadays, unfortunately, again, you have to deal with people who can be very dishonest. They see a note on their car with a license, uh, with a telephone number, and they may say, well, uh, this is good for uh, the reparation repair of a scratch, but you know, I also had this other fender bender a few weeks ago, and I've got this other problem with my car, and I can blame it all on this guy and uh, uh, expect them to cover it all. And of course, that's going to come from the insurance companies. <coughs> Perhaps somebody would say, well, you see, I can misrepresent the damage and uh, inflate the damage so that I can inflate the payout, but it only comes from the insurance company, so it doesn't count. And that's why this person was buying insurance anyway, precisely to cover this. But then, of course, the insurance companies simply raise their rates and everybody pays for it. So, yes, there are consequences to such lies and uh, deceits and frauds um, in a case like that. So, again, God is the avenger of all these things. We have to be very careful and honest in our dealings. Uh, what should you do with something you find? Well, uh, as number nine says, you should try to find the owner. That's your first obligation. Try to find the owner. Make reasonable efforts to find the owner. Um, what would reasonable efforts be? Well, it depends on the value of what you find. Um, but if you've, you've exhausted all reasonable means of finding the owner, and um, really can't think of any other practical thing you can do, then you're, you are the owner, that you have acquired this piece of property. If it owns to no one and you find it, if, you, if, it, if it belongs to no one you can find, if you have the property in hand, then you have the prior, prior right to it as the finder of something unclaimed. Um, if the owner comes forward, though, well, you have to honor that owner's rights. Now, 10 is gambling a sin, and the answer is gambling is not in itself a sin. Uh, these games of chance are things that can be legitimately uh, invested in. <clears throat> One may say, well, I enjoy it. I stand the possibility of gaining from it. But in any case, uh, I'm willing to take the risk of losing what I invested in it. <clears throat> and it is a form of investment um, <clears throat> because I just enjoy the, the give of chance and, and uh, enjoy the risk involved. It's not necessarily original sin uh, at work to gamble and to enjoy the, the experience. Um, so gambling is not intrinsically evil. <clears throat> but it can, it can become evil, um, 
if you're gambling with somebody else's money, your money that you owe, or somebody that else depends on, like your family, for example, uh, if you're gambling with money they need, that's a sin. Uh, if you are, um, you know, putting someone else at risk by your gambling, and then that is a factor you have to take into consideration, and that would make it wrong. Um, you also have to gamble in such a way that the uh, stakes are honest. Uh, insofar as someone has an unfair advantage, that would make it dishonest. That would make it sinful. Um, so, um, you know, the, the terms of the, of the investment have to be uh, known and, and have to be uh, real, have to be fair, I should say. So, whether you're uh, rolling the dice somewhere or as long as it's legal, uh, playing uh, Texas Hold'em poker, uh, family-friendly game, as long as it's legal, and as if you are, or buying a raffle ticket to support the, uh, the summer camp or some other worthy endeavor. Um, St. John Bosco had these raffles and games of chance <clears throat> to support his good works. It's not immoral, it's not illegal, um, as long as the conditions are met, that it's fair. Uh, what are the duties of employ employees we have in question number 11? talked about that a bit already, not to waste the time or materials owned by the business, by the employer, but also to do the job assigned as well as possible. Uh, I would add also not to undermine the employer, not to undermine him and turn the workforce against him by constantly complaining and grumbling and finding fault but trying to make th the best of things, trying to make things as good as they can be, not as bad as they can be. Um, because a, a, a complaining employee can, can drag everyone down, make everyone's life miserable, and really hurt the company. And in hurting the company, he's hurting not only its employers, but its employees as well. So there's an obligation to have a certain respect there. And uh, number 12, what are the duties of employers? Well, again, we have a very serious obligation to pay the wages that they owe. Um, in former times, uh, we had magnificent encyclicals, Quadragesimo Anno of Pope Pius XI, Rerum Novarum of Pope Leo XIII, which was considered the Magna Carta of the modern, well, the industrial age in which these popes talked about the absolute need to pay a living wage to employees, that they have a right uh, not only to take what you will give them because they're desperate and they need a job and can't survive without it, and so they take a job that is inadequate because they have no choice. That's not, that's not right, that's not fair, that's not a good basis for society, Pope Pius XI and Pope Leo XIII before him said. Rather, you have to, an employer has an obligation to make sure that his employees are provided for as well as they can be, uh, and that they're paying um, not only what they st uh, strictly as little as they can get by with, but they can they pay them actually a living wage so that they can uh, at least pay their bills and, and survive financially. Ideally, you'd want every employee to be able to not only pay his bills, 
maybe make a, a bit of an investment, save a certain amount of money also uh, to gain some kind of financial security. It's the way it should be, and that's what every employer should want for his employees. Um, now, what is the Tenth Commandment? Okay, this, this uh, book takes the Seventh and the Tenth Commandment together as it takes the Sixth and the Ninth Commandment together. Why? Because um, God not only can tell you, thou shalt not steal, he can also tell you, thou shalt not think of stealing, thou shalt not consider stealing, thou shalt not entertain the idea of stealing. Um, now, the civil government has no power to command your thoughts, although they're talking about the new, uh, the new world order they're bringing in, actually trying to control your thoughts, even anticipate your crimes by uh, reading your thoughts. <laughs> but in any case, but only God can really do that. Only God can do that. And so only God can command your thoughts, because God also has the power to give you the grace necessarily to think what is right and not to think what is bad. So when God gives us the Tenth Commandment that we shall not covet, that involves what, ha what is happening in our mind, in our hearts, that we are coveting, desirous of the goods of others. And we want them. And so we dwell on that and we resent the fact that others have what we don't have and that we want or even think we deserve. But they've got it and we don't. We, that leads to hatred, and it leads one then to uh, acts of dishonesty and theft. So our Lord tells us that not only are we forbidden to perform these acts, he says we are forbidden even to contemplate them. We're forbidden to take a joy or pleasure even in the thought of them. <clears throat> that's how every one of these sins begins, and that's where our Lord tells us we must not go. He himself will give us the grace to turn away from our fallen natural inclinations to seek revenge or to even the score or to be jealous of others. So the Tenth Commandment says that we shall not covet our neighbor's goods. And the fourteenth question here asks, how do you sin against the, the Tenth Commandment? And it answers by desiring to steal someone else's property and by envy or, or jealousy, that is, by resentment over someone else's good fortune or wishing he did not have it. I suppose that's really a, where the great malice comes in, it's spoken of in the Tenth Commandment, where we so resent that someone has that we want, what we want and don't have, uh, what we may even think we deserve, and they don't deserve, but they have it and we don't. Uh, it dwells, it eats in us, that we would even rejoice to see them suffer loss. We want to see them hurt. And that is very evil. And our Lord says it is absolutely forbidden to think that way. So uh, the fine print says you can be jealous and envious of someone else's beauty, someone else's intelligence, someone else's holiness, etc., as well as of his or her material goods. Jealousy is also called discontent. It leads to an enormous amount of complaining and bitterness toward other people who you perceive to be better off than you are. <clears throat> There's a lot of that going on, and heaven knows we are not allowed to be part of it. By the way, in this uh, fine print here is embedded another one of the sins, of special sins. This 
This time, a sin that is a sin against the Holy Ghost. One of the six sins against the Holy Ghost. As I erroneously cited earlier, but now this is true. You see, it says that jealousy or sins against the Tenth Commandment can even lead to being envious of another's spiritual good or holiness. That is actually one of the sins against the Holy Ghost, to be envious of another's spiritual good, such that we would rather they not have it than they have it and we don't. So we are spiteful toward them at seeing them advancing in virtue and holiness and possibly receiving the respect for that, that we feel we, sh we deserve. Is there an example of that in practice? There is actually. Uh, you might have seen the, the movie The Song of Bernadette when uh, Bernadette entered the religious life and there was an old nun there, an old nun who was very bitter toward Bernadette. Uh, she saw the favors that Bernadette had received and she felt, the old nun felt that sh she rather deserved them more because she has lived those lives, the, those years in the religious life. She had suffered, actually you could see the suffering on her face. Uh, unfortunately, I think she might have probably been the, might have been the uh, self-inflictor of her own punishment, of her own suffering. But in any case, uh, this um, nun became the caretaker of Bernadette and treated her very shabbily. And Bernadette accepted this with great, great grace. <clears throat> but once the nun really confronted her and, and just told her point blank, you don't deserve the graces you've been given. I deserve them. You, you don't know what it is to suffer as I have suffered, she said to St. Bernadette. And Bernadette looked very confused as though she didn't know what to say, as though she had nothing to offer uh, or counter what the nun had said. But in all of her simplicity, Bernadette uh, simply raised the hem of her, of her habit and uh, revealed to the nun this horrible ulcer that was eating away at Bernadette's leg. That was why she was limping as she was. She was in constant pain. And when the nun saw, the older nun saw this horrible wound, um, she was immediately chastened and realized that she was mistaken. And uh, she um, became very solicitous for Bernadette, even carrying her ever when she went from that time, that time on, uh, because she, she understood that she was in great pain and suffering very silently, unlike her older counterpart in the religious life. So uh, now we're not allowed to uh, think that way, and unfortunately even those in the religious life for many years, those who have persevered and been very diligent in keeping the rule, they can allow such a cancer to be eating at their hearts. And so when Bernadette oh, uh, raised the hem of her habit and showed this horrible uh, ulcerous wound um, that revealed to the elder nun the ulcerous cancerous wound in her own heart that had been growing there all those years, the cancer of jealousy. And she repented, truly. If it hadn't been for that, that old religious sister might have gone to hell. She might have lost her soul. But God wanted to save them both. And he used Bernadette to, to accomplish that. 
And finally, the last question on Lesson 40, what kind of sins are jealousy and envy? And the book tells us that they're usually uh, venial sins, unless they involve very serious matter, unless they can actually lead to resentment, contempt, even hatred toward another person. Or unless the sins of jealousy and envy do a serious damage uh, to others, let's say third parties who are scandalized by what they're hearing and by their witnessing. Uh, so depending upon the, the, upon the damage that is done by them, yes, uh, jealousy and, uh, and envy can be mortal sins. Um, in fact, in daily life, the petty jealousies and envies we suffer um, or that God suffers in us, uh, with us, uh, are not necessarily mortal sins. But we can understand how they can become very, very bad and do a lot of damage unless they are checked by God's grace and by humility on our part. So that brings us to an end of Lesson 40. You see, Lesson 41 now covers the Eighth Commandment, and that is the final one of the Ten Commandments covered in the book. Then we go on to talk about other, other matters. We're getting very close to the end of the book here. So uh, with that, I, I wish you a very blessed evening, and I ask your prayers, uh, not only for me, for, but for so many other dear souls uh, I know who need those prayers. Uh, you know who they are. Many of you are the ones who have given me those intentions to pray for. Well, I commend those intentions to each and every one of you. So uh, may God bless you all. Take care, and I hope to see you again soon.